Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, October 25th. I am your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined today by Todd Campbell, who is calling in from New Hampshire. Todd, how's everything going? Christine, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. We spent the week um, getting the house ready for the the pending trick-or-treaters coming up here on Halloween and uh, getting a little excited about it, maybe eating uh, too much candy myself. Isn't that always the case where you buy the candy and you know you're doing it, but you buy it too early and like a week goes by and there's still two weeks to go until Halloween and suddenly there's no more candy left? Yeah, you put it in a bowl and then as you're walking by, you're picking it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, But we have fun with it here. We, we put up um, gravestones and we do like a little fog machine. We have, we have a good time. Very nice. I unfortunately didn't decorate my apartment at all this year, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do at HQ here in Alexandria. Oh, there you go. You can get your trick-or-treat on there. Exactly. Yeah, we usually have a bunch of kids come into the office, and it's always a good time. But anyway, so for the show today, uh, many of you that are keeping tabs on the CAR-T space and one of our favorite stocks, Gilead Sciences, might be anticipating a show about Gilead Sciences and their very exciting CAR-T approval. That's actually not what we're doing the show about, <laughs> but just to make sure that we've got you covered on the news really quickly, uh, Gilead's drug Yescarta was approved on October 18th for advanced diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is the most common type of NHL in adults. This was, of course, previously Kite Pharma's AxiCell was the drug name, and then Gilead acquired Kite to try to establish itself as a major force in oncology. And with this approval, that strategy appears to be working fairly well for now. Um, so the stock was relatively flat on the news because this approval was largely expected. If anything, the the interesting part of it was that they released the price, which is three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Sounds kind of ridiculous, but that's actually fairly in line with expectations as well. And if you compare it to the other approved CAR T drug from Novartis, Kimraya, that costs four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. So that seems to just be how the CAR T market is playing out right now. Yeah, and I think that just as a quick follow-up to that, Christine, uh, if you want to do a little back and napkin math, people at home, uh, probably about 4,000, I think is what they said, patients can be treated based on current production capacity for CAR-T, uh, for ESCARTA. So 4,000 patients times 375, and then discount off something uh, for negotiations. And that probably gets you you know, some a billion-dollar run rate or so in the next year, year and a half. Yeah, so nothing terribly novel and exciting to report. Obviously, this is a landmark for all of the the patients that are in this patient population, and it's a big step forward for CAR-T, but this is widely expected, and so we're not going to dwell on it too much on this show. Instead, we're going to talk about some big biotechs whose market caps have materially changed based on recent news. And so we're calling this Big Biotech Goes on Sale. The first item from the discount bin is one that listeners will recognize from our Pitch a Stock Week last week, and that one is Celgene. One week ago, Vincent and I discussed Keith's 
uh, pitch on the show. And if you bought in right after that, you're probably not terribly happy with us right now because in the short term, in the, little, in the next week or so afterwards, Celgene lost about 11% of its market cap, which for a company that big, that's about $10 billion. So, very sizable decline. And so we want to update uh, our listeners about what is going on with the stock, what caused the decline, and particularly, should you hold on to those shares that you might have bought right after that show, or maybe even expand on the position size. So first off, Todd, do you want to share what the news was? In in honor of the fact, you know, in the intro, we were talking about getting ready for Halloween. And I suppose, you know, to make things even scarier for Celgene investors, if you go back to the beginning of October, Christine, uh, you've now lost about $20 billion in market cap. So leading up to the bad news, you lost about 10 and then you lost another $10 billion or so uh, between friends um, when the, the news came out. And the news specifically that we're talking about is Celgene's uh, decided to shutter development on a drug called GED301. And GED301 was in phase three trials for use in Crohn's disease, a multi-billion dollar indication. Uh, Celgene had spent a lot of money acquiring the rights to this drug. It quickly moved it into phase three. However, when independent monitors got a look at the interim data and ran their futility analysis, they determined, you know what, it's just not going to pan out. And as a result, Celgene now has to stop development in Crohn's disease to save themselves any future money uh, that they would have to pay out um, and take a charge in the fourth quarter uh, that they think could be as high as $500 million. So, on this news, which was that they decided to stop both the Phase 3 Resolve trial and also the Sustain Extension trial that patients could move into from Resolve, they also canceled plans for another Phase 3 trial, Define, in the same indication. But something that's important to note here is that it's because of efficacy issues and not because of safety. And why I want to point that out is because this drug is still being tested in Phase 2 for a different disease called ulcerative colitis. It's another inflammatory disease. And so the lack of safety flags with the drug is a very good thing because maybe this drug will work in that indication, maybe it won't. But if there were safety concerns, then that would be a, a much more devastating uh, a piece of news for this drug. Yeah, Christine, I wouldn't hold out a lot of hope if I'm an investor that get 301 is going to put up great numbers in this. I wouldn't even model for it. And if it, that way, if it ends up happening, wonderful. If it doesn't, no big deal. Because you know, one of the other things I'm sure we're going to talk about throughout the course of this segment is talking about how Celgene's got other irons in the fire, not only in in Crohn's disease, but also in ulcerative colitis. And um, those other irons could very well pan out or have a higher likelihood of success uh, than the GED 301. I think that, you know, investors looking at this are probably saying, oh my God, you know, we lost 10 billion in market cap. How much was this drug really uh, factored into the the long-term outlook for Celgene, right? I'm a long-term investor. So, you know, this must be a huge, big deal. No, it's it's not. Matter of fact, Christine, I think that if you if you poll most industry watchers, they had very low expectations for GED 301. Um, the majority of the reason and enthusiasm for Celgene has to do with other drugs and other opportunities, not GED 301. And that could be creating, you know, not to bury the lead, but it could create a buy opportunity here for investors. Absolutely. One drug in particular that I want to point out is Ozanamod, which has been referred to as the crown jewel for Celgene. It is being studied right now in phase three for ulcerative colitis, and it also just reported positive phase two data in Crohn's disease. And so this is 
a much more promising drug that you could see come into these autoimmune disease indications and end up mattering quite a bit more. There's an industry-watching firm called Evaluate Pharma, and they like to run the numbers and come up with a present value for uh, these different drugs based on how they're currently doing, how far along they are in their trials. Back in May, before we had the data on GED301, Evaluate Pharma calculated a net present value of $3.3 billion for this drug. Um, but if you look at what they've calculated for Ozanamod, they peg that drug's net present value at $8.2 billion. So that is quite a bit more. And Ozanamod also has other opportunities, for example, in multiple sclerosis. Um, but point is that GED301 is not a huge part of the value proposition for Celgene, especially not anymore. But there are plenty of other drugs going on with Celgene, both in these indications and in other indications that should more than make up for this one failure. And before we even move on to some of those drugs, I want to point out that this is not any fault of cell genes. A ton of phase three trials fail all the time. That's kind of just the way it goes. And if you listen to this show regularly, you know that. So I'm not going to hate cell genes management or anything because of this failure. It's kind of just the way biotech works. You know, and Christine, just to, to, to tag along on that comment, I mean, you know, with all of the activity that you have going on in Celgene, uh, both, you know, internally and through its collaborations, kind of surprising that we don't hear about more failures. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned their strategy of partnering with other companies. Uh, I actually want to commend Celgene's management for the way that they approach this. Um, they initially purchased this for $710 million from Nogra Pharma, which is a private company, back in April 2014. And this was right after its phase two trials. And this is very much in line with Celgene's strategy, which is to pay for some drugs that are a little bit earlier stage. They're not yet on the market. And it's a little bit riskier, but it also allows them to get it for a lot cheaper of a price tag. And in this failure, Celgene avoided having to pay $815 million in milestones, which seems like a pretty smart thing. You know, they're, they're out $710 million, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, you figure $710 million and then you've got phase three costs. You know, maybe you're in a few hundred million, give or take, from there. I, I think that, you know, really, the failure of Azanamod would be worth, you know, 10, 12, 20, 20 billion in market cap. Um, but, you know, not forget 37. And, and you were talking about the different collaborations that they have going on. And I mean, they've got they've got a ton of stuff going on. They, we, we, you and I talked on the show back in in June about the BB2121, which is Bluebird Bios. Uh, promising drug for multiple myeloma. Uh, that's partnered up with Celgene and uh, in, in heavily pre-treated patients, I think on average seven prior treatments, uh, there was a 100% response rate. Now that won't you know, hold true as, as trials get bigger, but it just shows that, that the promise of that particular drug. And then they're also working um, uh, with Juno Therapeutics on a next generation CAR T therapy that could end up competing with Gilead uh, as early as late 2018, early 2019 in non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So uh, I think that there's a lot of things that can still go right for this company. And I think that, you know, viewing it in the short term, just based on GED um, 301, probably not the right move, especially since, you know, let's face it, Christine, Celgene has a lot of pricing power and they're not afraid to, uh, to, to use that pricing power to be able to eke out more and more money from the, the current lineup of drugs. 
Which is for better or for worse. I mean, this is an issue that you read about all the time in the news. People are really unhappy with the way that drugs are priced, particularly in the United States. And Celgene seems to be kind of bucking the trend by being almost egregious with their price hikes. You've seen a lot of companies come out and say, you know what, we are not going to increase prices on our drugs by any more than 10% per year. And Celgene is not following by that, uh, that loose guideline at all. Yeah, if you look at the okay, so there's there's a little bit of backstory. If you look at from 2010 to 2017, prices for Levlimid have almost doubled. On average, from 2010 to 2016, prices went up a little bit less than eight percent per year. This year, Christine, including the nine percent increase they just did a few weeks ago or very recently, uh, the price has gone up 19.8 percent. From right. 2016, and this is for so, Revlimid, which is and that's their- for oh yes, yeah, so yeah, for Revlimid, which is their best-selling drug. And just to put that in perspective for you, eight billion run rate in sales out of that drug uh, coming out of the second quarter. We'll get third quarter numbers tomorrow. So if you're listening to this and the third quarter numbers have come out, um, you know, bear that in mind. But you know, eight billion. Uh, run rate drug and the price is increasing substantially. You know, I, I'm working on a story that I'm going to be putting on thefool.com uh, relatively soon here, um, Christine, just walking people through the impact of that price increase. And I think one of the things people have to realize is the price increases today are cumulative. They have cumulative impact on future prices because future price increases now come on this higher base. And if you look out to 2020, just the price increase that they did this year arguably worth $1 billion in additional revenue to the company in 2020, which, maybe not coincidentally, is probably what you could have got per year out of GED 301. Well, folks listening, if you want to read Todd's article, I am going to pull Michael Douglas and say, please write into industryfocus at fool.com. I'll be happy to send that along as soon as Todd has it out on the site. And Todd, I'll also look forward to reading it. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. We have one more big biotech that we want to talk about today. This is a biotech whose shares were down 12% just yesterday, Tuesday, October 24th, because one of their main drugs, Spinraza, missed its sales expectations. Yeah, another scary drop in market cap. You lost more than a billion in market cap, but it wasn't because of anything that Iona said. It was because of what Biogen said. And Biogen is the commercialization partner with Ionis on this drug, Spinraza. And um, despite, this is one of the crazy things about biotech, right, Christine? You know, it, the devil's in the details. Despite the fact that Spinraza's uh, quarter to quarter sales grew 34%, um, investors knocked down Ionis by more than a billion dollars in market cap. Yeah, people were really upset about the specific U.S. sales of this drug. And so, as you mentioned, it was Biogen that reported. And so, Biogen commercializes this drug, and Ionis gets a royalty in the teens of all sales globally. But the investors and the analysts on the call were extremely concerned with the U.S. 
uh, sales in particular uh, for this drug, which is fairly new. It was just approved in December. And so we're looking at the first few quarters of data, which are on one hand important because you want to see that there is an uptake of this drug and that the real life efficacy and the, the doctor outreach are everything that you expected. But on the other hand, you're working with a pretty small patient population, especially because this is for a very rare disease. There are just 9,000 SMA patients in the United States. And so you get pretty lumpy data. And that seems to be what's going on in this case. Well, yeah, let's unpack that data, Christine. Okay, so you, you, let's first of all, let's, let's give people a feeling for how growth of this drug sales growth has been trending over the course of this year. Remember, it went approval in December. So first uh, sales occurred in, in Q1 did 47 million in sales according to Biogen. In Q2 went from 47 million to 203 million. In Q3, Q3 after winning some approvals overseas and ex-US markets, sales jumped to 271 million. So you've gone from 47 million in Q1 all the way up to 271 million uh, in Q3. Sounds awesome, but again, like we said, the problem was with the US sales. If you look at the US sales, they came in at about 198 million of this 271 million. That was below Industry Watchers' forecast of 242 million. What? That's a huge, huge gap. And uh, Christine, I think maybe you'll agree with me on this. If I were going to pick like one of the most confusing and complicated biotech companies for an individual investor to go out and research and learn about and track, gotta be Ionis, right? And I mean, this just shows how complicated and how confusing this company is to track because industry watchers are obviously modeling completely incorrectly uh, for, for its sales. And, and you could even see on the Biogen earnings call, there was so much confusion. The analysts were all over the place. They kept coming back to the same confusing questions about these U.S. sales. It almost kind of seems like no one really gets what is going on with Ionis and with this drug and, and the part of Biogen that is related to all of this. Yeah, if there's a failure, it's in, in it's in failing to adequately educate industry watchers so that they can model for this drug correctly. It's certainly not a failure in growth. Listen, so, Christine, there were a few different things that went wrong with the quarter or that impacted the quarter that it ha that really fed into that uh, $197 million number that was below what people hoped. You, you had dosing schedule that we have to discuss. We have... Uh, an inventory build that happened in the second quarter that's also important to discuss. So there are some caveats that people obviously weren't factoring in correctly. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the inventory building, and then let's not forget to come back to dosing schedule. Inventory building accounted for $30 million of sales in the United States in the second quarter. So if you back that out, what looks like 1% quarter over quarter growth in the US was actually 20% when you take out the effect of this inventory building. So again, these are maybe accounting gimmicks if you want to look at it that way, but it, it does help to smooth out these numbers quite a bit. And then with, with a fast growing drug like this, Christine, you're more interested in patient starts, right? How many patients are on the therapy. You're you're less interested in the in the quarter to quarter machinations of, of distributors and how much inventory they have on hand ahead of time. 
Exactly. And the patient numbers are growing. So one other thing that I want to talk about with this drug is the interesting dosing schedule. So this is a drug, this seems like a good time to talk about the price of the drug too. So when you first take the drug in your first year, it's $750,000. And after that, it is $375,000. Again, rare disease drugs. So you get these kind of ridiculous six-figure prices. But when you first take it, you get a lot more doses of it. Whereas afterwards, the maintenance dose is only once every four months. And so with combine your small number of patients, you combine the once every four month maintenance dosing as opposed to the four doses in a row that you get initially. And you're going to see what you're getting right now, which, which is lumpiness. Right. Everybody who came on in the first quarter or the second quarter is now migrated to a maintenance schedule. So yeah, you're going to get most, most of the revenue in the third quarter is therefore going to come from new patient starts. And of course that was exasperated by the fact that you had new approvals overseas and launches uh, going very well in Germany that added um, a, a lot of sales growth uh, from the overseas markets. The dosing schedule the way it is, is every 14 days for the first three doses, the fourth dose is given 30 days after the third dose. After that, it's every four months, not every three months. So you're not going to get that quarterly benefit every quarter. It's going to depend on when patients started taking therapy. Now, at some point, right, Christine, we're going to get to uh, flying altitude and it'll just the seasonality will kind of work its way through and it'll be fine. And you won't really notice that as much lumpiness. But until we get to that point, yeah, you're going to have some quarters that are, you know, much bigger than other quarters. And I think that, you know, that's going to be hard to model. So rather than looking at quarter to quarter performance, I mean, you can look on the top line and say, yeah, it's still growing. That's great. But maybe look at it over a four quarter period, rolling four quarter periods and say, what's really happening to the sales of this drug? It's funny when you see a stock move so much because analysts were wrong, because really that's what's happening here. It's not that the drug was failing, that the company is terrible. It's that analysts modeled incorrectly. And to me, that's kind of just like like a shrug. You know, this is still the same company that it always was. The drug is doing perfectly fine. And if anything, I think this presents a pretty intriguing buying opportunity for a company that has an enormous pipeline with a lot of very interesting drugs in it. 39 drugs in its pipeline, Christine. You know, now, Ionos is a little bit of a weird, weird company because they tend to partner up mostly. Uh, with other companies on drugs that they're developing. So they don't get 100% of the benefit if they ever get commercialized. They only get collect these royalty streams. And that can make valuing it you know, a little bit more difficult. But with this many irons in the fire, this many drugs um, that they've been working on, they're finally at a point now where some of these are heading towards the FDA. And as more and more of these drugs you know, win their way through regulators, um, you're going to see royalty revenues steadily climb. And, you know, as it is already heading into the third quarter, Ionis was already thinking that they're going to be uh, uh, positive for a pro forma uh, earnings this year. And I mean, that's 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 a pretty remarkable accomplishment for a company that, you know, has as much going on and spending as much money as it is in R&D. And yet it's still just a $6.8 billion company, which is pretty incredible. So I want to wrap up this episode by just talking for a second higher level about the mentality of when stocks go down, seeing them as 
a discount, seeing them as getting them on sale. That is so central to the Foolish philosophy. When you see a big swing in a company, particularly a, a mid-size or a large-size company, and you go in and you take a look and it seems like an overreaction, as a shareholder, panicking is the last thing you want to do. You don't want to sell off just because of this. But if anything, these could be really good opportunities to buy some high-quality companies at discount prices. I 100% applaud that. I mean, you're not going to just buy anything that happens to drop 10% in a given day. But if you've got you know, a story, and I didn't own either of these stocks based on the, the thing that went wrong, supposedly, right? You know, if you've got a story in a, in, that you believe in, and that story remains unchanged by the news, then why wouldn't you want to take things, uh, take, you know, assume that it's, it's, it's at a discount and you can buy it on sale, right? Yep. And that's just one more reason to keep an investing journal and talk about why it is that you bought into a company so that you can, when these drops happen, go back, revisit that thesis and maybe say, hey, time to scoop up some more shares. All right, Todd, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me today. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!